Okay, good morning, everybody. So we left off. We saw part of the 18th letter of Sham Shemrafel Hirsch, his program for what he considered the, uh, the best curriculum for young Talmudic Chachamim. He spoke about the necessity of having some level of secular education. And the $64,000 question was, was that Dafka for his time and place, <clears throat> based on the, uh, the climate of Haskalah and other influences living in Germany in the 1800s? Or was that more of an objective overall standard as to what he felt would bring the Hashlama, the, uh, the wholeness of Limit HaTorah? We also saw the letter from Rav Cook. And Rav Cook spoke about the, uh, the reality of, of an Hussein Harabim. We have young scholars who can be viewed as uneducated if they don't have any uh, knowledge of secular studies. And he brought three reasons as to why he felt there has to be some level of tfisa, some level of grasp in other chachma. The first was, so it should not be chilul Hashem, that Tamini Chachamim should be able to present themselves in an eloquent manner. The second svara he brought forth was, <clears throat> that it could bring to an understanding in many places of Torah, getting the Chachma behind a particular sugya. Um, and the third issue he brought, which he said was especially relevant in his time, and all the more so in our time, is to know how to respond to those who have uh, warped philosophies. And they're going to bring rayas from science and, and other places. You have to be ligging to some degree in, in that information. Okay. Let's jump to Rav Dessler now. Rav Dessler addresses what he calls the Frankfurt Method versus the Shitas Hayeshivos. This is page nine. He says in Frankfurt, Hitiras Amada, they allowed secular knowledge and they also allowed people learning in universities, and they viewed this as a lechad The price they had to pay for this was shinismatu mispar gedolei haTorah, because they introduced secular studies into the curriculum, so to speak. The number of true Torah giants that were produced in Germany were few. And even those who learned in the classic yeshivas in Lithuania and Poland, but they also studied secular Chachma and Ashkenaz in Germany or Hungary. There were only very few that were Lomdim Gedolim. Amnam Hervichu Bezeh, Asher Mispar Hamikokolim, Etzlam Hayakatan Maor. This is a very, very interesting uh, insight, I guess sociologically and ashkrafically. The Dessler claims that the amount of, of young men who were mekukal, right, who went off the derech, based on this system, were also few. When they had exposure to both worlds, it almost sounds like in the perception of Reb Dessler, they were more grounded. So what the, the sacrifice was, they weren't producing as many gedolei olam, but what they were gaining 
was a real commitment to Torah and mitzvos without as many people leaving the fold. Uh, what's that? I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, Chas Vishalom. Like well, we'll have to really try to analyze you know, the Svara here <coughs> as to why... What does he mean by few? Like, what, sort of, what sort of analysis would try? Should you just say, like, oh, look, there's this many people in the so we're going to see Reb Schwab's response. But it seems like his assumption is they really did not produce that many G'dalei Torah. And therefore, the assumption is that's based on the methodology of Chinuch. The fact that it wasn't, you know, totally engrossed in Libat HaTorah, but there were other things mixed in. You don't have the same, same product. This is Mikol Makom. But the majority of all these young men who also had exposure to secular chachma, they continued keeping the Torah with Mesiris Nefesh. And many of them were very careful, very meticulous in the, uh, in the keeping of mitzvahs. So that's how he says in one paragraph, that was the Shita of Frankfurt. Of Oshitas HaYeshivos, the approach, though, of the, the yeshiva world, Lahamid L'Matara Yechidah, L'Gadel Gadol Torah V'Yirash Shemayim K'Echad. There was one focus, there was one goal, which was to produce Gadol Yisrael. U'Bishvil Zeh Asur University L'Chanichehem, and therefore they Asur going to university. Ki Loro Shum Eitzah, because they thought there was no other way to produce giants of Torah, unless they would make the singular goal of Limud HaTorah with nothing else to distract. Amnam, lo nachshov, don't think, says Reb Dessler, that they didn't realize from the, the, the beginning that this derech was very dangerous. That many people would be mekukal. They would go off the derech based on this method. For those young men who were not able to, to stay within this extreme, so to speak, so what do you do now? If my only opportunity for learning is in a yeshiva atmosphere where it's so incredibly intense and focused and there's nothing else that I could relate to and I don't have the zitzvlech to sit here for hours and hours and steig, it's not my personality. So you're kind of leaving me with no other option. And therefore you're going to lose many. I'm not sure that's true. You could definitely have the kind of guy where I cannot sit through a Gemara Shir. I've tried for a long time. I've tried different Rebbeim and different Yeshivas. And ultimately, this kind of in-depth learning is not for me to do for many hours. It's a shame. I'll always have a Kavias in learning. But when it comes to learning about engineering, right, or it comes to learning about uh, psychology, these are areas that I'm really interested in. And I could sit there and keep on reading for hours and hours. Hmm? What is the they? When you say they knew, 
He doesn't specify, but it sounds like the, the you know, gedolim within the world of the yeshivos who created this system. Listen, the, the first yeshiva as we know it was the yeshiva of Velazhin. That's in the 1800s. So this is not going back 500 years. It's going back to pretty recent history. Let's see a little bit further. But this was the price they were willing to pay to be able to produce Gedolei Torah. So the truth is, all throughout history, we've always had people, like the Rambam refers to the, the people who devote their lives to Limit Torah as Shevet Halevi, which basically means in every village you had a Rav, and usually by the time a kid was 13, 14 years old, he'd be working 12, 13 hours a day, right? But those who had a real Akishro and a real Chush for learning, they would continue learning. They would learn with the rub of the community, and then oftentimes if they really excelled, you know, they would ship a mouse to, to, to who knows where, to a greater rub, and those people would become the future Gedolei Dor. But they recognized at that point in time that there were people that could sit and learn, there were people that were working, but were still, I'm saying, the Shulchan Aruch was set up to be reviewed every month. Like, there, were, there were workers that knew Shulchan Aruch about that. 100%, right? The, the Shach quotes that in Reish Mem Vav. He says, your average Balabas who was working many, many hours a day, he was also learning three to four hours a day. So why, why did that radically change in the 1800s when these yeshivas were set up, that that no longer was acceptable? So that, that's a good question, and I think we should have maybe even a separate shir devoted to Velazhin, because that's really the question. What was, what was the machshav of Reb Chaim Velazhin? What was the goal of creating an institutionalized learning? Because that comes with many milas, but it also comes with chesronos. One of the major chesronos, like we're saying from Reb Dessler, is once you have anything institutionalized, so then if I'm not part of the system, I'm in more danger than I was before. So Mr. Like, Shem will have a whole discussion on that. Like one of the three reasons, it's really for, I don't know, the purpose here. It's not just to learn chesronos for chesronos It's because they need to have a teacher. Well, he's saying that was the price the world of the yeshivas paid, that once you have the system, you create the box, that it's only learning, and they're not encouraging, and they're not allowing secular chachma. So if I can't sit and learn for many hours, I'm, I'm in trouble. Let's see a little bit further here at Reb Dessler, and we'll try to digest he says, Obviously, they tried as much as possible to keep people within the fold. And those young men who were not cut out for learning all day, they tried having programs and ways of keeping them uh, inspired. But it wasn't simple. He says, now our question is somewhat different. Do we allow yeshivas to be built based on the shita of Frankfurt in order to have a place for those young men who do not want to or cannot learn all day, but they could have another viable option? The, the concern is we have to know going into this that if we allow that to take place, we're not going to have 
the yeshivos with that same level of purity and tahara, where everything is kulo Torah. V'lo medina Torah And therefore, just like in Frankfurt, it's going to be difficult to produce G'dolei Yisrael. V'im medina So you have a simple answer, right? I have a teretz. We'll make different yeshivas, and you can choose the one that fits best. Over here we'll have a yeshiva university, right, where you have both options, and over here we'll have a Chaim Berlin, where it's only Torah, and then, okay, Baruch Hashem, choose the one that fits best. So says Reb Dessler, right, for example, at Svona Yivna Yeshiva Betarosa, or the Droma Mosad Academy, in Yerushimayim Vikitzas Torah, you'll have a different place where they'll be learning secular Chachma with Yerushimayim and a little bit of Torah. Under Tzrichim Lies Yashev, we have to give a lot of thought to this. Im Yeshulonu Taktim Lezeh, V'im Chas V'Sholom, Lo Nekalko Yosem Me'esher Nesakein. He says, if you think about it deeply, we might be doing more harm than good. What's Pshat? So he says, take a look here at that last paragraph on the right. Think about what will happen after the first graduating class. Out of the seminary, out of the place where they have both Torah and other Chachma, you're going to have well-equipped teachers with a degree and Yerushamayim and a little bit of Torah. What does a little bit of Torah mean, says Reb Dessler? Perush, im smicha lahora me yeshiva. They have a certificate, they can paskin, ask a mishaila, basu bechalav, different issues, and they'll tell you, mutter, asr, treyev, kosher. Haim lo yi and yisoyon gadol af le bal kishron metsuyon alomid be yeshiva ki yelich lo bederech zu. What we're doing is, we're creating a tremendous challenge for someone who could be sitting and learning all day. For someone who could be in what he calls Yeshiva Tahara, or it's Kulo Torah. But when I leave Yeshiva, if it's after five years or after 15 years, I'm not going to have the same opportunities. I don't have the same credentials. And we're living in a world where, you know, those initials after my name mean a lot. So maybe I'm not going to choose to go to the Yeshiva, rather I'll go to the Academy. So Dessler is basically saying, there's no simple Eitzah of suggesting, just have different options, because by having the option itself, that could take away from those people who have potential to be Gedolei Torah. So I don't think that's a realistic option. If you're living in a world where coming with credentials means a lot, Everybody knows that if you have your, you know, bachelors of Talmudic study that they gave you because you happen to be sitting and learning Baba Kama and Yeshiva for many years, that doesn't mean anything. They're not going to be machshiv that. Isn't that what they're suggesting they have and that would be the thing that's valuable? No, no, he's, he's saying that if you have a real program, a combination of Torah and secular studies, you could walk away not only as a rabbi with smicha, with Ketzas Torah, but it could also be called a doctor. Right, but that's, in other words, if you're, if you're within the Torah world and you know what's going on and you know the difference between that kind of degree in Talmudic law versus somebody who's 
solely focused on Torah for 15 years. Right. It's like a big difference on the, okay, yeah, you have a secular degree with the Talmudic law degree, but it's not anything near what the person who's going for 15 years and get it. So like, it's probably, so it, it's, it's not anything near when it comes to the mastery of Torah, but we live in a world where we're very influenced by, by secular society. I think the greatest proof is in the pudding. If you look around different communities, Jewish communities, right, from places, Orthodox shuls, if they have the option of choosing between Rabbi so-and-so who learned in the mirror for 17 years versus Rabbi so-and-so who learned in a different institution for 10 years, but he's also a doctor, right, or he's also a professional psychologist, it just sounds more appealing to, to many people in many places. That was the concern of Reb Dessler. <clears throat> I mean, that's leaving aside a myriad of other options. I mean, it sounds like his starting point is his two options that are completely off the table. Like having a regular yeshiva, but allowing people to go to other like institutions, and if they need a welding degree, they'll get a welding degree. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this sort of... Well, he wasn't addressing that option. Right? I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure how available that was. But it also seems to be, he also seems to be coming from the starting point that, I mean, that Kulo Torah is definitely the ideal, as opposed to some of the others we saw, who it could be that knowing other things enhances Torah. He seems to, his starting point seems to definitely not be that. It does sound that way. It does sound that way. Let's jump to Rabbi Schwab for a moment. Reb Schwab was born in Germany in 1908. So that was already after Reb Shamshin Rafael Hirsch passed away. <clears throat> but uh, he was introduced to the legacy of Reb Shamshin Rafael Hirsch, and in 1926, he left for Lithuania, where he studied in some of the great yeshivas there. He was influenced from the Chafetz Chaim, from Chaim Ozer, um, from Yeruchim Levovitz, the great Mashkiach of the Mir. So he had a firm grounding in the Hersheyan approach. At the same time, he had obviously a lot of mastery in the classic Lithuanian uh, yeshiva approach. <clears throat> 1958, he joined the rabbinate of Kahala Das Yeshurin in Washington Heights. At the time, Rabbi Dr. Joseph Breuer was the head rabbi, and then Rabbi Schwab took over when uh, Rabbi Breuer retired. So in 1966, they, uh, they sent Rav Schwab this particular letter from Rav Dessler, and they wanted to get his opinion as to how would he respond. So we'll share some of these lines over here together in the letter that Rav Schwab wrote. <clears throat> he says, Who am I to render an opinion regarding a matter about which greater and better rabbinic scholars have not yet reached an agreement? And the rabbis of the previous generation, indeed the ancestors of Rav Dessler, who were the founders of the Musser movement, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, and his disciple of Simchazisel, they addressed the issue. Rabbi Simchazisel was the altar of Kelm. I have heard that in their view on these matters, they came very close to that of Shamshin Rafael Hirsch, but they were outnumbered and opposed by the majority of East European rabbis at the time. Like we mentioned, I think, at the beginning, in Kelm, they actually did introduce some secular studies. I, yes? I may be wrong, but... <clears throat> Yeah, I'm not sure. 
we have uh, more contemporary Gedolim who attended that university. Rabbi Yosef Dov Salavechik, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner. They were all there together at the same time. They became good friends. This, uh, this past summer, I guess it was, Aaron Schechter, right? The Rosh Hashiva of Chaim Berlin. So he, was, he, he stays at the home of uh, Rabbi Lazerson for a couple weeks every year. So I try to visit him and, you know, just to be in the presence of a God of Yisrael. So a few of us were sitting around the table and somebody asked the question, what's Pshat that Rav Hutner went to the University of Berlin? What was he doing there? And Aaron Schechter said, you could ask me any questions, but you can't ask me about the Rosh Hashiva. Meaning to say, don't ask about Rav Hutner. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. So the why is not so simple. But he's saying that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter and the, 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 the altar of Kelm, they were close to the Hersheyan approach. Now, mind you, right, the son of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter famously invented the Lipkin parallelogram. He was known for his expertise in mathematics. There's actually a famous story where the Haskala, they paid a lot of money to take out a whole page ad in a newspaper wishing Rabbi Salanter Mazel Tov on his son's accomplishment. And why were they doing that? To try to kind of paint him as he's one of us. You see, right? He's also part of the, the Enlightenment. And look at what his son is doing. So Rabbi Yisrael actually paid to take out a full-page ad the next day. And he, uh, he had there, he said, I love my son dearly, but I'm not proud of what he is doing. Right? He left the derech. And if anyone could be mashpia on him, Latov, if they could influence him in a positive way, I would forever be grateful. <clears throat> so continues with Schwab. He says, it seems to me that this was always the case historically. The majority of rabbis refused to engage in secular study, lest they be ensnared by it. On the other hand, in every generation, a minority of Torah sages engaged in secular study, using it as a handmaiden to serve the cause of Torah. And this is a very important phrase. We're going to see in Hashem next week an essay by Dr. Norman Lamb. And his presentation, presentation of Torah Mada gets a little bit fuzzy. Because what Rav Schwab is saying is even those, what he calls the minority of Torah scholars who pursued secular knowledge as well, they used it as a handmaiden, meaning it was not lishma. They were not learning it because they felt this was needed for the ultimate hashlama, the the completion of the, of the whole Talmud Chacham, they were doing it as a way to serve their cause of Limad HaTorah, learning and living Torah. And that's going to make a major distinction. Hopefully next week we'll also define the difference between Torah Umada versus Torah Im Derech Eretz. Those are two very different things. Says Rav Schwab, he says, look it, we have Ramosha Isserlis, that was the Ramah that we saw the Tshuva that he wrote to the Marshal. And there he writes in the tshuva that it's an ancient debate between the sages. This conversation goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Who knows? It may well be that both approaches, Torah and Derech Eretz, and what he calls Torah only, are true. Both reflecting the essence of Torah. What is crucial is that one's intent be for the sake of heaven, always according, or always according to Torah primary status, and making secular studies secondary. 
No rabbinic court ever banned secular study. Indeed, the Torah scholars of the various generations never ruled officially in favor of one approach over the other. Everyone is free to select whichever approach finds favor in his eyes. Let him consult his teachers and follow in the footsteps of his forefathers. The advocates of one approach must respect the advocates of the other approach. I would probably add in, assuming they're doing it in the right way, which is where it's L'Shem Shemayim, and it's based on a Mesorah. It's based on guidance from our Rebbeim. They may not cast aspersions on the approach they reject. To the contrary, they must provide support for each other. In particular, one may be wary of distorting the views of the opposing approach without first mastering the fundamentals of the approach being criticized. This is a bold statement, right? How can you put down the other shita before you really know what that shita is? It seems to me that the majority of the critics of the Hershey approach have not plumbed the depths of his writings and consequently have not understood him properly. Let everyone stand guard over his approach for the sake of heaven until such a time that a light shines forth and our justices and rabbinic advisors will return. Only then will all doubts be resolved and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Then he gets into Germany. What took place in Germany? So he says, we know with Moses Mendelssohn and the Haskalah and the influence of Reform Judaism, there is a lot going on. And he says, people of that time who are promoting secular knowledge as well as Torah, this is the middle of that paragraph, their most talented disciples necessarily devoted themselves entirely to the pressing needs of their generation, to winning Jews back to Judaism. These disciples followed with precision the instructions they received from their teachers. One can hardly blame them, the teachers, if none of them, i.e. the disciples, were recognized as renowned Gaonim. Perhaps, and I think Ari was making this point, in proportion to the number of observant Jews in Germany, no fewer Torah scholars were produced in Germany than Eastern Europe. In Eastern Europe, with this population of some five million Jews, most of them were, were Orthodox. So there, Baruch Hashem, you had many Talmud Chachamim. So his first point seems to be, obviously what was happening in Germany, they were trying to, to help and defend the, the cause of authentic Judaism. So you can't blame them if they weren't able to produce the same number of gedolim. They were dealing with a tremendous crisis. Then he says, it's not even clear that you're correct, Rav Dessler. It could be in proportion to how many charedim that had. Maybe they also had the same number of talmidei chachamim. Moreover, and this is a very interesting point hashkafically, he says, truthfully, it must be noted that already 200 years prior to Mendelssohn, Renowned Gaonim were no longer being produced in Germany. Don't blame it on the Haskalah, don't blame it on Mendelssohn. This was happening for hundreds of years prior. What did they do? So by and large, they imported their rabbis from the Gaonim of Eastern lands. Who knows why a specific land produces Gaonim over a prescribed period of time? Why this phenomenon occurs is hidden from us. He says, look throughout history, right? What was the hub? of Talmud Torah for hundreds and hundreds of years. What was the greatest place of learning outside of Eretz Yisrael? Bavel, right? And then what happened? So we know historically, 
after hundreds of years, then we started to disperse and we have the creation of the Ashkenazi communities and the Svarti communities. <clears throat> but as to why a particular place is thriving and you have a golden period of Talmud Torah and then suddenly it becomes Iraq, right? And there's not much learning going on. This is beyond us. These are part of the Darche Hashem, Darche Hashem Nistara, he says. Lemaisa in Germany in the 1800s, you had great minds. Chassam Sofer, Moshe Sofer, you have his great Rebbe, of Nassan Adler, Rebbe Yaakov Etlinger, who was the author of the Aruch Lener, who was known as the Gon Olam. He himself, Rebbe Yaakov Adler, actually published a periodical half in fluent German and half in Hebrew. So in this regard of Shamshan of Frel Hirsch, he says, was not being machadish something, he wasn't creating a new Judaism. It wasn't panim chadashos bolakan. He was following the mesorah of his teachers before him. <coughs> he concludes here, the upshot of all of this is that the claim that the Frankfurt approach was not capable of transforming gifted students into geonim and Torah is erroneous. It is certainly true that gifted students suffer no less of talent by engaging in increased study. Thus, quite to the contrary, to the extent they increase their secular study, their minds are broadened and their Torah studies are deepened proportionately so long as they truly study for the sake of heaven. So I think in this line, he's definitely taking it a step further. And he's saying that I don't buy the argument that introducing secular studies will take a talented individual away from mastery of Torah. If anything, it could broaden his horizons. And we saw that in the writings of Rav Kook. The caveat here, though, is as long as they're doing it for the sake of heaven. How many of us do anything for the sake of heaven? <laughs> right? It's not so pushing. So again, it's hard to know how to apply this hashkafa halacha lemaisa if oftentimes the reason why I want to become well-known in this field is because I want to be well-known, right? The reason I want to be great in astronomy and mathematics and other aspects is because I could be that rabbi who knows all of this. Not so posh to do anything L'Shem Shemayim, and when it's not done L'Shem Shemayim, even if Schwab is agreeing, there is danger involved. And if it takes away time and effort and energy from pursuing Torah Kulo, Right, what he calls only Torah, then it's not so posh. It doesn't sound like he's discussing studying it for a profession. I don't think he's limited to that, 100%. Listen, the, the proof to that is he goes on to quote the Grah. This is a famous, uh, famous line from one of the Talmudim of the Grah, where he writes an introduction to his savior, Pasa Sada, that the Grah urged me to translate into Hebrew as much secular wisdom as possible thereby increasing knowledge amongst Jews. And the Gra's purpose was not so they could make more money, right? Clearly it was to have a deeper understanding of Torah. Again, the Talmud of the Gra says, last line here on page 11, there are Jews who are bereft of intelligence and secular study, and this is a very deep idea, which is precisely why they denigrate the wisdom and knowledge they lack. Sometimes when I don't know something, it's a lot easier to put it down. Like I told you before, the fellow who was putting down Einstein. What a waste. What a waste of a great mind. You know, theory of relativity. And Narishkeit. It's not Narishkeit. It's extremely deep. He says over here, the key question, up until now, he calls pilpul. That was more kind of going through the sugya. 
The key question is, what do we do when it comes to young school-aged children? Elementary school, high school, what approach do we take? Do we take the Frankfurt approach or do we take the Olam HaYeshiva approach? So he says in the second paragraph on page 12, those remnants of Jewry who touched by God wish to devote their lives to the study of Torah alone and be prepared to lay down their lives in order to study Torah for its own stake, its own sake, come under the category of Sheva Levi. That's the tribe of Levi the Rambam spoke about. And therefore, if Schwab's point is, don't Khalila put down someone who wants to devote his life to Limud HaTorah or teaching Torah. Don't tell me, well, hashkafically, you also need to have the other Chachma. Khalila, if you have someone who's sacrificing everything to be learning and, and, and sharing his Torah, Ashraichim. According to the girl, he's missing something. According to the cook, he's missing something. But again, it's not so poshid if you could actually get that thing. It's not so poshid. Everything the shame shemayim. I don't know. That's for you as an individual. You want to decide to be a shame. We're talking about putting your children. Oh, so that's his point. And this is double underlined in mine. But I worry above all. Uh, I worry about all the tribes of Israel, all 12 tribes. I mean, if you have Shevet Levi, Baruch Hashem, you have the Olam Yeshivas where they devote and sacrifice their lives to the Torah, Baruch Hashem. But there's so many other young men out there who are not going to do this. It's not their Tuchuna. They too are obligated to study and live by Torah, making it primary in their lives and rendering all else secondary. Everyone has the obligation to view Torah as the Iker. That's the, 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 the Sifri we saw, right? But the Bartim Baum, that has to be the Iker. Everything else is secondary. How do we keep them stark? How do we keep them strong and committed? The approach of Rosham Shemrafal Hirsch, says Rav Schwab, enables us to educate and produce God-fearing and Torah loyal young men and righteous and valiant young women. Indeed, in this quote-unquote Frankfurt approach, also known as Torah im Derech Eretz, it's tried and tested. It is especially appropriate in this country and this time which has much in common with the Haskala period in Germany during the previous century. All right, so Ashrab is now coming to somewhat of what he feels <coughs> is a conclusion, Halacha that based on the time and place we live, I, I would promote the basic approach of Rav Hirsch, is to have some of that secular knowledge as well. Regarding the minority of Jews who desire to study Torah only, Basically, he writes, Tavol of Bracha, blessing should be poured upon them, and fortunate is their lot. The debate is confined to the educational approaches regarding Jewish day schools and related educational institutions that serve the majority of Jewish students in our country at this time. That's the whole debate. Those who devote their lives to yeshiva learning, it's beautiful. He concludes here, and we're going to end with this. It seems to me that both the Frankfurt and the Torah-only educational approaches are well-grounded in the sources, and both are essential for the continued existence of the Jewish people in our time. When Elio Anavi comes, he'll provide, he'll decide retroactively whether, right here's our $64,000 question, he'll decide whether Vasham Shunafal Hirsch's approach was a time-bound one, intended only for his generation, or whether it was intended for all generations and all places. And then he says, regarding Eretz Yisrael, 
And this is a topic that comes up often. People love discussing this. The system, the structure, how it works, and Limud HaTorah, and then you can't get a Parnasa because they don't join the army. Says Rav Shwab B'chachmoso, regarding Eretz Yisrael, you have to speak to Gedolim living in Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> we cannot pask in what should be or what could be in the holy land of Eretz Yisrael. No authorities outside the land may rule on their behalf. Let the Torah be observed in the place of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. Let there be peace over Israel. More food for thought, gentlemen. We'll continue next week in Mitzvah.